Well, good morning. I'm so grateful. <laughs> yes, thank, thank you all. Humoring it. All right. uh, I, I am really grateful, and so we are going to jump right in. We've been celebrating in the Psalms uh, this summer, uh, and it's been a great sermon series for me. I know I, I really enjoy the Psalms, uh, and we've been saying that uh, celebrating, what celebrating really is, is it's stopping together from our normal rhythms to acknowledge what, who is worthy of our attention. God is worthy of our attention and we are stopping Sunday by Sunday. We're stopping together as a community to acknowledge Him. That's what we just sang about. It's your breath in our lungs. We pour out our praise to only You. And that's what we're going to do this morning as well in keeping uh, with the series. So we're jumping right in. We're looking at Psalm 150. It's the last psalm in the book of Psalms. 150 psalms. It's on page 510 in the Black Pew Bible. You can find it there. Psalm 150, page 510. And I'm going to read it out for us. Just hear the joy and the celebration that comes out from it as it's read out. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with the timbrel and the dancing. Praise Him. Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbal. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is a psalm of celebration if there ever was one. This is a psalm of celebration par excellence. Uh, This is celebrating in the psalms. It's the last psalm in the the Psalter. Shouldn't it be a psalm of celebration? And perhaps, I, I just wonder, for those who have been here week after week, or maybe you've come in and you've been on vacation and you've left and you've heard one of the sermons, you know, one of the sermons uh, started out with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Celebrating in the Psalms. Hmm. Last week's sermon was about healing the brokenhearted. Celebrating in the Psalms. Hmm. I, I, I wonder if you're, you're reading this psalm and you're like, oh, finally! This, you know, there's no darkness in this psalm. This is all just praise. This is just, we, we are just having a great time. And I'm sorry to potentially burst your bubble, but I think there's actually a dark side to this psalm. Oh, and you're like, oh no, Dave, say it isn't so. Please don't. Just, can't I just have my nice, happy, praise the Lord psalm? And look, I hear you, and I'm with you. I want that too. And, and I think by the end of the sermon, we're going to have that. But I, I think there's actually a dark side to this psalm that actually produces the great joy that such a psalm as this has to resound. And you're thinking, okay, I totally missed it. I don't know how you're going to get that out of there. Uh, So what I think we're doing is we're looking at this psalm in two dimensions. And I want to suggest that we need to look at the psalm in a, in a deeper three-dimensional figure. And what, what do I mean? Perhaps in the first dimension 
that we notice. This is a song of celebration. And of course it is. If, if we look in verses 3 to 5, it just bursts with, it's like, take out the whole band. Bring, bring out the, the timber and the dancing and the pipes and the cymbals and the clashing cymbals. Apparently there's multiple kinds of cymbals that need to be brought out for a psalm like this. And it's like, just pass them out to the congregation. We need everyone in on this. This is a big psalm that, that just needs the biggest noise we can make. So this is clearly a song of celebration, uh, but there, there's a second uh, dimension to this song. This is a song for all of creation. This is a song for all of creation. Uh, if we look at the brackets, the way that the psalm is bracketed, it begins with the phrase, praise the Lord, and it ends with the phrase, praise the Lord. Actually, in Hebrew, this phrase is literally, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord. And so I'm just going to whoop, change that. There we go. Hallelujah. Praise God in His sanctuary. That's down here. Praise Him in His sanctuary, in His temple, where the people gather, where the people on earth gather to meet the Lord their God, and they sing out His praise. Hallelujah. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. All the angels, the archangels, the cherubim, the seraphim gathering together before the throne of God in heaven. They need to be praising God as well. So it's praising God uh, in His sanctuary on earth. Praising God in His sanctuary in His mighty heavens. And even at the very last line, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So this, the first dimension, is a song of uh, celebration. At second dimension, this is a song for all of creation. And perhaps it's at this moment that we actually, if we really stop and say, uh, reality check, is all of creation singing this song? Is this just a cruel joke? Is I mean, this is. I mean, this song is great. It it's resounding with praise. But there's there's a hard reality here. How can we celebrate? In how can we celebrate if the song for all creation has actually died out? If the song that all of creation was supposed to sing the song that was meant to invite the whole world in and they were supposed to sing it out. All of creation, we even just sang about it. All the earth will shout your praise. But did we stop and think about, like, not all the earth shouts your praise. What are we even singing about? Is it all just a cruel joke? Has the song that belongs to all creation actually died out? I want to suggest that there are three areas uh, of, um, of reality that we all experience where we can hear the tune that belongs to all of creation. But it, it falls sour. Where we hear everything that has breath praising the Lord. We hear it in places like nature. We hear it in people, humans. And we even hear it within ourselves. But first, I want to take a look at nature. Perhaps uh, consider, imagine you were going out for a hike, perhaps right here in Cape Ann in Dogtown. And it's, 
It's right before sunset, so the golden light is coming through the rustling trees. There's a nice breeze in the air. You're completely secluded, perhaps except for a, a friend that maybe you're walking with, and you're, you may not even be talking about anything because you're just enjoying um, the wind, the breeze, the sounds, uh, the twigs breaking beneath your feet. And it, it's like you just hear everything that has breath praises the Lord. And then you go and you, you get in your car afterwards, you go back uh, home and you flick on the TV and there's a Category 5 hurricane rustling into the Gulf. And it's going to devastate the area. <laughs> and it's just, what a jarring experience. I was just out there in the midst of this beautiful world that God has created and, and yet some, something's not the way it ought to be. How, how do I make sense of this? Has the song for all of creation died out? How can I celebrate? And then consider humans. How many of you went out to the St. Peter's Festival uh, this summer? Uh, I do see some hands. I see some reluctant hands, and I, I'm, not, I'm not sure why that is. But the St. Peter's Festival, Fiesta, there's so much life and culture. The, the people, it's amazing. You, you, there's music, there's bands, the, the, the fair itself, it's wonderful to go through. Even the greasy pole is like, <laughs> where do they, these people like, where did this thing even come from? This is crazy. I know Sicily, you know, you don't have to explain it to me. I got it. But it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing experience. And you just see life and vitality. And, and there are moments where you can, it's like you just hear the song of creation. Everything that has breath. It, it's, there's there life. This is borderline the way it ought to be. But I think, I think we all know if we hang around St. Peter's Festival just a little too long, Yeah, it, it's gonna, yeah, viva. It's, it's gonna get, it's, it's gonna get a little rowdy. We're gonna see those half-drunken, half-dead people on the streets that are half-brain-dead. And, and to be quite frank, you walk past them and actually you just, it's just sad. It's like the life has gone out from their eyes. Everything that has breath praises the Lord? Or has the song died out? And even in ourselves, even in ourselves, there are these great moments where we feel most truly alive when we're playing and writing and reading and watching and relaxing and cooking and conversing and studying, perhaps, uh, exploring, discovering, napping even. And it's just, ah, oh, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. But those moments come and go, and all soon were restless, witless, listless, disinterested, agitated, uninspired, reclusive, unmotivated, fearful, and most frustratingly outright sinful. Again, how can we celebrate if the song for all of creation has died out? How could such a song be written in the first place? Was it a cruel joke. How can the psalmist presume to invite us to sing, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, when it seems nothing that has breath praises the Lord? Sometimes not even myself. These are the questions of a two-dimensional view of this psalm. 
But the psalmist wants to invite us beneath the surface into the psalm's third dimension. And the third dimension is that this is a song within the biblical story. This isn't just any old song, uh, as if we could have just found it lying on the street somewhere, or it could just be written somewhere in a newspaper and you'd sing it out, or it could be on the radio with no context. This is a song within the story of God. It assumes the story of God. And that's why, on surface, we don't catch the dark side of it. But if you know the story, well, then it's actually like, it's blindingly obvious. As a biblical song, the psalm belongs within and takes place within the wider biblical story. And, and what is the biblical story? Well, actually, the biblical story is the story of nature. It's the story of humans. It's the story of ourselves. Nature, going back to Genesis 1, the good creator God, hovering over the waters, creating a great place full of life and vitality. But then it, it, uh, with humans right in the middle of it, and there the human story takes itself up, and they're supposed to steward over creation and make it flourish and make it teem with life and potential. But then it, it all falls sour. It all falls sour and we just hear this cascade of stories where it gets worse and worse. We hear in Genesis 6 about how nothing but evil were the thoughts of man and, and God laments that He made man in the first place. How did it get so bad? And it just keeps cascading, cascading until God chooses a family. Abraham's family. The nation of Israel. It's going to be somehow through this family that blessing is going to go out. It's going to bring back the story of all creation. It's going to put things back the way it ought to be. But problem, they themselves were part of the problem. They're supposed to be the doctor going out to fix the problem, yet they're riddled with the disease and they don't have a clue uh, where the cure is even going to come from anyway. And then they, they, they write these songs like, we know what we're supposed to be. We are supposed to be the people that are inviting all of creation. We're supposed to be the people gathering in the temple saying, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let all the nations hear. Come on, we got to get out there. God deserves to be praised. He's a wonderful God. But they're being trampled on by their enemies. Nature is Adam. They, they have famines. They have disease riddling uh, the countryside. Humans are at their throats. The Psalms talk about this all the time, about nature out to get them, about humans out to get them, and then even ourselves. Talking about the self and how I do not do what I wish. How do I make sense of this? How? And then here's this Psalm. And so how would you sing Psalm 150? You can only sing it in hope that I know God is supposed to set things right. I know that all of creation is supposed to be singing uh, his praises, but yet it's all turned sour. How do we make sense of this? Uh, we actually see this in the Psalms itself. There's a Psalm, Psalm 73, uh, is a great example of this, where the entire beginning of the Psalm is all about how, woe is me, I got enemies, and they're like totally bashing on me, and I don't know what to do about it, and I don't know how it's all going to end up. And then he says this in verse 16 of that psalm, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. 
how can I celebrate when the song of all creation has died out? Until, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Other translations just literally say, then I understood their end. I understood where the story was going. I understood what God's purposes were. Somehow He was going to lower the oppressors and raise the oppressed. He was going to set the world right. He was going to put it back the way it ought to be. Then would be the day. But still, the psalmist is asking, will God let the song for all of creation die out? That's our question. I mean, we, we come in here week after week, Sunday after Sunday. We meet up in our small groups week after week. Uh, we gather together maybe just one-on-one or, or we're spending time in devotions and we're reading about the great story of God and His great purposes. But if your experience is anything like mine, and I assume it is because we live in the same exact world, uh, it is really tempting sometimes to think that it's all a pipe dream. It is really tempting sometimes to think could it all be true? Has anything changed? Are we still right in the same predicament that we've already been in? Will God let the song for all creation die out? This is when I want to turn within this third dimension where we're recognizing that this is a song within the biblical story to Revelation 4. If you want to turn with me there, you don't have to. Uh, I'm mostly going to paraphrase and summarize this chapter. Um, But I will be reading out chapter 5 of Revelation. But you can find it in your Black Pew Bibles on page 993. Page 993 in your Black Pew Bibles. But I'm convinced that perhaps no one was undone by this issue like John was in the book of Revelation. You see, in chapter 4 of Revelation, John is given a heaven's eye view into the whole of the biblical story. And it's not him being transported into a future time, it's him actually being transported into the heaven's mind's eye of what is going on in all of creation. What has been going on from the beginning, what is going on in John's very day. And John knows... Suffering. He's in uh, banishment on an island by the Roman Empire. And yet, he tells this uh, story, or he relays this experience that he had in heaven's courtroom where there's nothing but the song of creation. So he tells the story uh, of the Bible as the story starting from Genesis 1 as the song for all creation. And so it begins in Revelation 4. He sees in heaven a throne, and it's one seated on the throne, and it's the God of Genesis 1. It's the good creator God. And then as the story goes on, and, and he's, I, I should say, he's, he's dazzling with all these stones, and it's, it, he's magnificent to behold. He can barely take it in. Like This is what it should be like to meet the God of Genesis 1. And then we see it's not just the God of Genesis 1, but it's the God of Genesis 1 and 2 because there are the creatures. There's these heavenly like animal figures, just like in Genesis 1, but it's like the heavenly versions of them. And what are they doing? They're singing out the song of creation. They're singing out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. 
they're singing out the song for all of creation and John's taking it in and he's breathtaking. And sure enough, there's also human representatives in, in the heavens. There are these elder figures and it's like, they're, it's like they're the humans of Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 and they're singing out the praises of God, only they add a bit that the animals can't. They say, why God ought to be praised He's, they say, the Lord, um, uh, holy is the, worthy is the Lord our God, for He made all things. They understand that God has made all things. This is the worship of all of creation, and it's happening in the heavenly realms, and John is taking it in. And this is the moment that we want to say, uh, excuse me, wait a minute. That's really great for heaven and all, but we're down here on earth and actually there's a big problem. We don't hear this song. It, it sounds as if this tune has died out. I barely can hear it down here. But actually, the heavens know it just as well. Turn with me now into Revelation 5 on page 994. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then I saw... This is John speaking. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, the Creator God. He's holding a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. The, this scroll is, is the purposes of God for all of creation, putting it where it needs to go. But it's sealed up. It needs to be opened. It needs to be read. It needs to be sung out for all of creation to hear. Verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one, no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. What else can John do but say, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Will God, in fact, let the song for all of creation die out? No one is able to sing out the song for all of creation. But we need to read on. Then, and you know what? We need to change that. This, this then should be written in like all of like calligraphy and that was supposed to be calligraphy. That's, that's a shame that didn't happen. Just imagine it like really nice and flowy. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And this also should get calligraphy, but unfortunately, it's a pretty bland font. <laughs> then, I saw not a lion, but a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. I actually think that is really fascinating. Biblical authors don't waste a word. They're very intentional how they say things. And notice how it's even telling us where the lion that's actually a slaughtered lamb is, is standing. He's, in, he's standing 
at the center of the throne, but yet encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He's drawing all of creation back to himself. He's drawing the animals. He's drawing the humans back to himself. Nature, humans, and even ourselves as we'll see. Because as we read on, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood... You purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Hallelujah! Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. Here come the heavens, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. Can I get an Amen? Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Hallelujah! This is the celebration of all creation. And I want to suggest that actually, I said that there was a third dimension that we had to see to this song, this Psalm 150 that calls upon everything that has breath to praise the Lord. But actually, I think there's a mysterious and hidden fourth dimension. And it's that this is a song from the redeemed. This is a song from the, the only people that can truly sing Psalm 150, that can truly sing it, are the people that have had the breath of Jesus put in them. They are the ones that have breath. And it's not something we claim for ourselves. It's something that, why, why do we even get this? And as, as we read through Revelation 4 and 5, it's just, it's a slaughtered lamb just placed in the middle of creation and it just sucks it all into himself. We're just drawn into it. We're caught up in the song that only one person was able to sing, but somehow, somehow, it's a blessed theological word, somehow it's just exploded out where even we ourselves find that we're able to sing songs like it's your breath in our lungs and we pour out our praise to you, only you, all the earth will shout your praise. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. What, why I think we're able to do this is again, there's a dark side to this psalm. And the dark side is that we as Christians are very aware that the world is not the way it ought to be. We're not pretending. We're not kidding ourselves. We're not just whistling in the dark. But then what is it that allows us to sing such songs of joy and triumph? It's that we've been redeemed. We've been 
captured for him. And we know where the story is going. I want to give an analogy of what this is like. Perhaps some of you are familiar with the story of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. It's an amazing story that is a reflection of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. But let me, let me catch you into this a little bit. Uh, the, the four children that get brought into the story, uh, they enter into a world that is riddled with issues, much like our world. Uh, it's always winter and never Christmas, uh, but Aslan, the lion, he's on the move, and he's going to change it all. But there's one problem. One of the children, Edmund, he's a betrayer, and he's sold out the other children, and in fact, all of Narnia, to the great evil white witch that is uh, rallying against the kingdom of Narnia. And this creates a big problem. She should have his life. But Aslan does the unexpected. He meets with the white witch one-on-one and he says, I will go. And as the story goes, we're where we stand in awe and horror as we find that what it means for him to go, he's going in the place of Edmund. He's going to the place where the white witch will slay him and all her army and her cohort is spitting on him and, it's, and they shave off his mane and it's, it's, it's a horrible um, picture to behold. And he is slain by the white witch on the stone table. And the two women, the two girls... Susan and Lucy go and they spend the night there just weeping over him. And as they're departing in the morning, uh, because there's, there's a great battle that's about to take place between uh, the forces of Narnia and the forces of the White Witch and all hope really seems to be lost on the battlefront because Aslan has just given himself. The stone table cracks. There's a loud noise and they turn around and it's a great lion that's fuller and richer and his scent is sweeter than they could have ever imagined and his roar is louder and they run to him and his breath is hotter and they're just caught up in his love for them and and can't can't imagine and there was a deeper magic uh, than uh, what has been displayed on the stone table. And so they get on his back and they rally to go back to the battle. But then there's a shift in scene in the book, and we're back at the battle. No one knows that Aslan is back. That is, except the reader. You as the reader know, but you're reading this account of a battle, and, and you see the, that the white witch's forces are going in on Narnia, and all hope seems to be lost to the Narnians, and to Peter and Edmund who are on the battlefront. But you as the reader, you know, you have been let in. You know where the story is going. And you know it's going to have a beautiful ending. You're, and you're excited. There's a genuine excitement. You're rushing through the pages trying to get to the end because you know it's going to be wonderful. I think that's what it's like. And I think that's even what John is doing in Revelation or what God has shown him in the heavenly courtroom. He's shown him creation at a problem, just utterly weeping that no one was able to open the scroll. And then one, one was able, and it was the slaughtered lamb, the lion of Judah. And at that, the redeemed sang out. 
And I think there's just a little tiny verse in our psalm, Psalm 150, that points us in this direction. It just simply says in verse 2 of Psalm 150, why do we praise Him? We praise Him for His acts of power. We praise Him for His surpassing greatness. It's the one reason that's given in the psalm for why we praise God at all. It's for His acts of power. For His great salvation. For His great rescue. And so, what is it that we are supposed to do? I think we are supposed to be the ones who sing out the song from the redeemed for all of creation to hear. Like Lucy and Susan going back on the lion's back, going to the battle, and just singing with jubilation that they don't even know what's coming to him. What if that's what we were like here on Cape Ann? What if that's what we were like on the North Shore? That we were known to be a people that were just singing out the song from the redeemed and it just people were getting caught up in it. And I, I actually think in a lot of ways we are known for this. I, I, I know several of you in the congregation are people who have heard about what was happening uh, in the church, have come to our harvest festivals, have come to VBS and have got caught up in the great story of God that has rescued you out of hard circumstances and hard lives. It doesn't mean that life is all peachy keen, but it means you know that your God has you. You know where the story is going. You know that He is going to rectify all things. And so you sing out the song from the redeemed for all of creation to hear. But what do I mean by sing out? And uh, I think this is important because it, you know, it's like, okay, am I just supposed to sing? Well, here, I, I think it kind of means two things. One, on the one hand, I think sing out means um, sing out. <laughs> I think you should sing. I think you should come here and you should worship God with all that you have. God, God deserves worship. He is m- mighty. He is wonderful. He is majestic. He has done great things. We need to strike up the whole band. We need to come here and just offer ourselves before Him because He's amazing. He deserves worship. But I also, what I mean by sing out, I also mean that we ought to live out. We are supposed to live out the song from the redeemed before all of creation. When we go out there into Fiesta, when we go out there into Dogtown, when we're uh, alone, or you know, we are people that have been rescued. And when people see that, it, it startles them. It doesn't mean that every single person is going to be captured by it, but that's why the song doesn't say all of creation, uh, Everything that has breath does praise the Lord. It's an invitation. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's what you were made for. That's where you will find meaning. That's where you will find rescue. That's where you will find purpose. That's where we have found. We started this series, started this sermon by saying that we've been celebrating this summer. We've been stopping together from our normal rhythms to acknowledge the One who is worthy of our praise, our attention. That's what I think it actually means to be celebrating in the Psalms. 
that the entire book of Psalms belongs to the people of God. It belongs to the redeemed. You can't sing these songs without being rescued by Jesus. They don't make sense unless you've been rescued by Jesus. They can't be celebrated unless you've been rescued by Jesus. And so yes, there is a dark side uh, to these psalms. But they come from the voice of the redeemed uh, and they take joy and it's appropriate that Psalm 150, the last psalm, is a psalm of praise and delight and joy and celebration because it knows where the story is going. I want to conclude by saying Yes, so we are supposed to sing out the song from the redeemed for all of creation to hear. Um, but I want to return uh, in close to this idea that I started off with in saying that um, I don't think it's just the great and uh, wonderful times that produces songs of praise and celebration. I actually think it's quite the opposite. It's times of adversity in which you press into your hope and you sing about the joy of where the story is going. And so I I want us to, at the end of the series, to stop and to really just take in what what does it look like. Um, Very recently, I uh, have gotten into collecting records. Actually, both my, my wife and I have been collecting records. We got a record player for Christmas and we go to Mystery Train right on Main Street wonderful you could get all sorts of free records uh there and we picked up a harry belafonte album and it was all these spirituals that were written back uh in the late 1700s 1800s out from the slaves most horrific dire of circumstances of people and yet some of the most jubilant music the world has ever known and i I want to just play one song and have us sit with it and just capture the imagination of what it looks like to take up a posture of joy and celebration to sing out the song from the redeemed for all of creation to hear.